as we continue to think about the driven life, we might be thinking this morning about a life of pleasure. The passage that just kept coming to mind as I was going through Rick Warren's book and the things he had to say comes from John, the 15th chapter. So we're going to turn to John, the 15th chapter, reading verses 9 through 17. Let's hear the word of the Lord as it comes in John's Gospel, 15th chapter, beginning at verse 9. This takes place, by the way, in Jesus' final night with his disciples before his crucifixion. You might recall they gathered together and they not only celebrated Passover, or what we would know as communion, but he washed their feet and then he began to talk to them about what was to come. And they were, they were fearful because he was talking about being gone from them and leaving them. And these are part of the precious words that he spoke to them to try to bring them some, some calm and comfort and peace. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Parents upon the very first view of their newborn child, immediately take immense pleasure in that child. Now, they don't even know what that child's going to look like. They don't know if he or she is going to be obedient. They don't know what he or she is ever going to do. They don't know if he or she is going to honor them. But one sight of that child, and they take great pleasure in that child. And kids, if you don't believe me, just ask your folks. An artist finishes a painting or a carpenter, a building, or an author, a manuscript. And as soon as they put down the paintbrush, or the hammer, or the computer, and pause, there's an immense pleasure in what they have just created. So God takes great pleasure in the children he has created. That means that you are objects of his pleasure. In fact, you are planned for God's pleasure. We see it throughout all of Scripture. We see it, first of all, in Genesis. Remember in the creation story, God would create, and at the end of the day, he would look and say, it's good. Next day he said, it's good. Next day he said, it's good. And then he created Adam and humankind, and he said, it is very good. God took pleasure 
in humankind. If you're human, God takes pleasure in you. As I look around, it looks like everybody here is human. If not, you're putting on a good act. So God takes pleasure in you. The psalmist reinforces the reality. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord. Praise him in the assembly of his faithful people. Be glad, Israel, because of your creator. Rejoice, people of Zion, because of your king. Praise his name with dancing. Play drums and harps in praise of him. And why do this? Because the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights. He takes pleasure in every detail of their lives. The prophet Isaiah gives even more depth to all of this. He has that wonderful passage in the 43rd chapter where he talks about he'll, he'll be with you when the storms come and when the fires burn. And then he says, For I am the Lord your God, the holy God of Israel, who saves you. I will give up Egypt to set you free. I will give up Ethiopia and Seba. I will give up whole nations to save your life because you are precious to me. And because I love you and give you honor. God was letting Israelite know by using those terms, Egypt and Ethiopia and Seba, that they are worth more than the whole world to him. He would give up the world to keep taking pleasure in and saving them. And that all sets the stage for John's gospel. And he goes straight to the cross with that verse we all learned as children, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, for God took pleasure in the world that he gave his one and only Son, for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God made the great exchange for us. He gave up his Son in order that you and I might live. He takes great pleasure in us. It's no wonder Paul, when he wrote the church at Ephesus, said, even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ. So we would be holy and without fault before him. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ he would make us his children. This was his pleasure and purpose. Let us praise God for his glorious grace, for the free gift he gave us in his dear Son. Now think about it. When we, when we take pleasure in someone, we do good things for them and we, we give them things. I can you remember when I was a youngster, I lived not too far from the area that was called Washington Square. Some of you may still know where that is. It's changed a lot, but in those days there was a little dime store there. And Every now and then I would hop on my bike and ride those few blocks and go to the dime store and take what little I had for allowance and I would buy something for my dad and something for my mother usually something that they couldn't use, like I bought my dad a hammer and he didn't use a hammer. I'd buy my mother a trinket and I have no idea what she did with it, but that didn't matter to me because I took pleasure in buying something for and giving something to someone that I loved. Guess what? God takes pleasure in us and through his Holy Spirit he gives to us. He gives us fruit. He gives us talents. He gives us gifts. Paul put it succinctly in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Even the Heidelberg Catechism stresses the theme in the answer to question 26. It says, The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
is my God and Father because of Christ his Son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. And then this is the phrase. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. You are planned for God's pleasure. He takes pleasure in you and he keeps giving to you. And when you recognize this, you are positioned for God's friendship. Jesus wants you to be his friend. How do we know that? Think of what Jesus says. Think, first of all, of Jesus' intimacy. He's given you a privileged status. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my Father I made known to you. Now think about the difference between servants and friends. A servant's job is simply to do the task. He's told to do something and he does it. He may not even know how it fits into the overall scheme of things. He may not understand it. He may not like it. He may not want to do it. None of that matters. He does it. He may not even know his master or ever meet him. But a friend is different. There's much more intimacy in the relationship. There's a, there's a sharing of mind and heart and soul There's a sinking of mind and soul with one another. Jesus says, you're my friend in that way. General Grant's chief of staff was a man named John Rawlins. He was not only his chief of staff, but he was his good, faithful friend. Apparently, Grant had some difficulty with a tendency to want to drink too much liquor. And so he made a pledge to his friend Rawlins that he would abstain from doing so. But the day came when he broke the pledge, and it was Rawlins who went to him. And as a dear friend confronted him and pleaded with him for the sake of the nation to refrain. And Grant did so, and he responded positively to that. So today, by our nation's capital, there stands a massive statue of Grant. He's on his horse and there are battle scenes on both sides of him. But at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue there's just a little small piece of land called Rollins Park and there there's just a very ordinary statue of Rollins. What a contrast. But though smaller in stature it was the faithfulness of Rollins that kept Grant on his horse for the sake of the nation. In similar ways, Jesus shares his heart and his life with you for your good. He always has your good at heart. Through his Holy Spirit, he walks with you and he talks with you and he encourages you and he challenges you and he strengthens you. Every moment of every day, he wants to give you oneness of mind and heart and soul. He wants to sink you with his soul. He wants to keep you on your horse, keep you in line with your purpose. And I'd like nothing better than for you to be able to say when you leave here this morning, Jesus shares his heart with me. In fact, say it now. Jesus shares his heart with me. He wants to so desperately. He's even given himself and his spirit to you. 
He wants you to be his friend. But think also about Jesus' investment in this relationship. He paid a tremendous price for you. Greater love has known than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. In high school, I joined together with three of my buddies, and we formed a male quartet. I guess that makes sense. We wouldn't form a female quartet, but we formed a quartet. <laughs> we went to Lenox High School, and their mascot was the Knights, so we called ourselves the Knights of the Lord. And every now and then, a man by the name of Dan Hugerhide, who was in charge of the Kalamazoo Youth for Christ teen team, would ask us to accompany him on a Sunday night when he was going to speak at a church and ask us to be the special music. And I still remember this one night. We were at what was then the old Southridge Reformed Church, and I can see the pew we were sitting in, and about two minutes before we were to go up and sing, Dan leaned over to me and he said, Curry, why don't you give your testimony before we sing tonight? My throat went dry, my heart stopped beating, my gut was wrenching, and I'm thinking, I've never done this before. Besides, I'm Dutch. We Dutch people don't do that kind of thing. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you what, that two minutes went by faster than the last two minutes of an NBA game. I'll tell you what, we are suddenly on the platform, and he's introducing me to give my testimony, and I don't yet have a clue what I'm going to say. But you know, for the first time, at least the first time that I could recall in my life, The Holy Spirit gave me a verse and rolled off my tongue the words, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So I said that verse, and I think I said a few things about being a friend and would I pay that kind of price, and and I survived it all. but, But little did I know, little did I know what a friend he would be through all of these years. In fact, I'm still learning what it means. You know, we hear of, of heroes who impulsively give up their lives in the midst of a tragedy or in the, out on the battlefield somewhere. But there's a difference between that and Jesus. Think about it. Jesus knew before he ever agreed to come and take on flesh that he was coming so that he could die. It wasn't instantaneous. It was thought out. It was well planned and it was an act of love. He intended to live and to die for you. That was his purpose in coming. We don't earn that love. We don't deserve that love. And still, still we don't. And the older I get, the more amazed I am that he continues yet to love me and count me as a friend. Yet nothing, nothing I've ever done or ever will do will break that relationship I'm reminded of a hospital in San Antonio, Texas, which had a renowned burn unit. Back in the days of the Vietnam War, two American soldiers who had been in that war were badly burned, and they were eventually brought to this burn unit in the San Antonio hospital, and they were in beds side by side. And one day, the wife of the one man came in, and she took one look at her husband, She took off her wedding rings, placed them on his chest, didn't say a word, and turned around and walked away, never to be seen again. About two hours later, the wife of the other man came in. She walked over to his bed. She leaned over, and she took one look at him. And she said, Darling, 
I'm here. Let's start getting well. Jesus has come to me in the darkest, dingiest, ugliest times of life and has always, without fail, stood with me and brought me back into the light. And what's true for me is true for you. I want you to be able to say today with conviction, Jesus, lay out his life for me. Say that with me. Jesus laid out his life for me because he did. And he wants to be your best friend. Just think about Jesus' initiative. He sought out friendship with you before you were even ever aware of him. Verse 16, you did not choose me. I chose you. You know, it's not like you in your mother's womb and saying, see, I'd like to have some friends. I wonder if Jesus wants to be my friend. (laughs) And yet, before you were even in the womb, he said, I want to be your friend. That's part of the beauty of, of infant baptism. I don't remember my infant baptism, but I've done baptisms enough to know that at that point in time, not only did the parents, my parents make some promises, not only did the congregation make promises, but God made promises and said, you have given him to me, I will see that he gets to be where I want him to be and to live out the purpose that I have in mind for him. That blows me away. He knew everything there was to know about me, everything that I would ever do, say, or think, or not do, or not say. And still, he said, I want to be your friend. You see, it's not the quality of my life that makes and saves our friendship. It's the quality of his love. I don't have to hide my flaws or my fears or my failures, but neither do you. Jesus has chosen us and he loves us enough to stand for us and to grow us into his likeness. It reminds me of the couple that was in some extensive marriage counseling. Didn't seem to be going really well, especially for the husband, until one day in the midst of their appointment with the counselor, the husband blurted out, you know what it is? All these years I've been scared to death that my wife will break through my shell and realize what an idiot I really am. (laughs) Guess what? Jesus knows what an idiot I am and he loves me anyways. And keep laughing because he knows what an idiot you are too. (laughs) But he loves you anyway. And so my purpose for living is to be his friend and everything revolves around that. Listen, Jesus knows you as you are. He understands where you have been. He accepts who you've become. And he wants nothing more than to grow you into his likeness. He loves you to death. And he wants you to be a friend. And I pray that today you can say, Jesus gives me a purpose to be his friend. Say it with me. Jesus gives me a purpose to be his friend. And then notice this friendship includes also Jesus' invitation. He wants you to ask him, he says, for anything. Verse 16, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. The door to his wealth and his riches is always open. All you have to do is walk through. And I love that picture because in the midst of the darkness, the light comes through the door that he has opened up. And what it means is this. 
In the midst of my darkness, I can come to him. I don't understand all that that promise means, but I've had enough of a life of walking through that door and receiving from him. I know it's worth asking. And I don't have to worry about, is what I'm thinking about, is what I'm wrestling with, is what I want serious enough to bring to him. He says, if it's in your mind, if it's in your heart, bring it to me and ask me and let me go to work. Everything is opened up to him. We sang the words just a few moments ago. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry not some things, but everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. If only you can say with conviction this morning, Jesus wants to give me what I need. Say it with me. Jesus wants to give me what I need. He wants to be not just your friend, but your best friend. Being planned for God's pleasure, you are positioned for God's friendship. And that means you are prepared for God's smile. Jesus prefaces all this talk about friendship with these words, beginning again in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. It's not that Jesus won't be our friend if we don't love others. It's just that in loving others, we open up that friendship to its greatest possibility. Loving others opens our relationship with Jesus to its greatest potential. Rick Warren mentioned in his book, the Olympian Eric Liddell, who said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Jesus is saying, when you love, you'll feel my pleasure and my smile. And then he goes and he empowers and encourages our love through his spirit. And his love and his friendship provide the model for our friendships. It it was junior high week at church camp. It was a Wednesday night, talent night. Time for those junior hires to display their talent. I know that means it's an older story because it talks about junior high. They don't have it anymore. It's middle school. But you know the age group. And that meant that on that night, anything would go. All kinds of crazy instruments, pie-in-the-face skits against the counselors, greasy, grimy gopher guts, and all that kind of stuff went. It was a talent show. They could do whatever they wanted to do. The last act of the night was a young boy named Jonathan Now, Jonathan had basically knocked around all week, but here he was. He was going to sing the solo, Friends are Friends Forever. Everybody knew that, as he said in those days, he was mentally challenged and he wasn't a lot of good on the teams, but there he was. He went up on stage, grabbed a microphone. With the other hand, he turned on his little tape player and the music began and he started to sing. And then it happened. Halfway through the first verse, he forgot the words. Immediately, the the staff began to look at each other 
what do we do? How can we help him? But with his free hand, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a crumpled up piece of paper on which were the words. But in one hand, with one hand, he couldn't open up the paper. And now <clears throat> some of the boys, being typical junior high boys, began to smile and smirk and laugh. But seated in the fifth row on the left was a young girl, a young girl named Jessica. She was a red-haired, freckle-faced, teeth-full-of-braces young girl. She got up out of her chair. She ran up on that stage. She put one arm around Jonathan's shoulder, put her other hand around his hand on the microphone, and began to sing with him. And together they finished, Friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never, for the welcome will not end. Jonathan won the talent competition that night. And those who were there said they would never forget the evening. Why? But because they saw Jesus in a red-haired, freckle-faced girl and a knock-kneed junior high boy who simply wanted to sing a song for his friends. Do you think God smiled? Our friendship with Jesus is not all about us. It's about loving others in a way that will bring them into friendship with him. All we need to do is accept Jesus' friendship and share his love. Elise Bridges told the story of this kind of love. A teacher in New York decided that she wanted to honor each of her seniors in her high school. So on a day near the end of the school year, she called each senior forward, and in front of the rest of the classes, she told them what they had meant to her and to the school and to others. And then she gave each of them a blue ribbon imprinted with gold letters which said, Who I am makes a difference. Afterwards, she decided that it would be great if the whole community could, could experience that kind of celebration, and so she she gave each of the students three more ribbons and instructed them to go out and give those ribbons to somebody else so they could recreate the celebration and then come back and report the kinds of things that had happened. One of these seniors gave a ribbon to a junior executive who had helped him with his career planning. He even pinned the ribbon on the junior executive and then he gave that junior executive the other two ribbons and said, go do the same to somebody else. Later that day, the junior executive went in to talk to his boss, who had a reputation for being pretty gruff, to say the least. But he told his boss how much he appreciated his creative genius in working for him. The boss was surprised, but he, he accepted the ribbon, and when he did... The junior executive gave him his last ribbon and said, now you, you go do the same for somebody else. That night, the boss went home to his 14-year-old son and sat him down. And he said, son, the most incredible things happened to me today. And he shared the experience of the ribbons. And he said, as I was driving home tonight, I started thinking about whom I would honor with this ribbon, and I, I thought about you. I want to honor you 
my days are really hectic and when I come home, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to you and sometimes I scream at you for not getting good enough grades or because your room is a mess. But somehow tonight, I, I, I just wanted to get here and, and, well, let you know you do make a difference to me. Besides your mother, you're the most important person in my life. You're a great kid. And I love you. The startled son began to cry. And then he sobbed uncontrollably. His body shook. But eventually, through the tears, he looked up to his dad and said, I was planning on committing suicide tomorrow, Dad, because I didn't think you loved me. Now, I don't need to. Do you think God smiled? Such can be the power of his love. As a friend of Jesus, you make a difference. That's why Jesus wants to be your friend. So open up that relationship to him. As you leave here today, fill in the blank. I will love this week. Who's dying for your love? For whom can you die and give yourself up and lay out your life for? Jesus wants to be your best friend. Accept his friendship and live in love. Make a difference. Let's pray. Lord God, we're not worthy of your friendship. We don't deserve your love. And yet, you came to earth to die for us. You want to take us by the hand and lead us through life. You've shared your heart and your mind and your soul with us. You've shared your life with us through your Holy Spirit. And you have called us friends. Lord, I just ask right now that you will accomplish the purpose for which you gave us this word and have sent out your word. Open up hearts to your friendship. Open up our lives to love. In and through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.